You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Uh, the only time I ever hear about Christians on the news anymore is when we do terrible and or dumb things. Have you, is this your experience too? Let's look at the last, let's look at the last few weeks, okay? Let's just have a little current event uh, jaunt. You know this is? I know you, you know one of the people for sure, right? <laughs> there's a, there's a, um, Trump, I feel like I'm saying Voldemort almost, sorry. It's like, <laughs> he who must not be named. And uh, Paula White Kane is with him. Do you know who this is? Prosperity gospel style televangelist. Now Trump's spiritual, Trump's spiritual advisor and now serves as a staff member in the White House. Why is this a problem? My opinion, she's a prosperity gospel uh, preacher. Prosperity gospel has been derided as heretical because it ensures financial success and physical well-being with faithfulness, right? If you're faithful to God, you'll get rich and be healthy. Uh, Health and wealth follow obedience to God And presumably, if you don't follow God, you won't be rich or healthy. And since uh, Trump is rich and healthy, according to his physician, um, (laughs) he must be following God, right? That's 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 kind of the. So this is this is out there. This is weird. It's the reason uh, Kanye West is uh, teaming up with Joel Osteen. He was actually he was in at Osteen's church this morning. If you guys. And I, I kind of I watched it for a little bit um, to perform his Sunday service. Ye and Osteen uh, both are channeling the prosperity gospel. Joel's book, uh, Your Best Life Now, has a similar feel, right? Yeezy wants to change his name to Christian Genius Billionaire. Anyway, that's a lot of nonsense, um, but I think it's what people hear about us, that we're, 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 uh, that we're crazy. I don't know. That's, I, I, don't, I don't mean that pejoratively. It's just like some things aren't lining up here, right? The next one even surprised me, and I, I almost don't want to like, give you all the bad news because maybe you're not as, as, as uh, entrenched as I am. I don't even know who this guy is. Do you guys know who this guy What's his name? How do you say the last name? Christ. It's so close to Christ, you know. Um, he's apparently a Christian comedian who canceled his tour after he was sexting women and harassing other, uh, harassing other women. I didn't even know who this guy was until he did something criminal, essentially. Like, I didn't know this person existed, and then I find out, oh, they're still Christian comedians, and what they do is harass women. Right? That's disappointing to me, because it only is, it's just another instance of Christians coming into the news for doing a terrible thing, right? Or when the Catholic priest wouldn't give, in South Carolina, wouldn't give Joe Biden communion, and then told us all why, he didn't give them communion, give him communion, which is a violation, by the way, not uh, the denial of communion necessarily, but the fact that he would tell us why, right, Cecilia? If you're denied, because you're a Catholic, if you're denied communion you're, and your priest tells everyone why, big problem, right? Yes? She said yes? 
Anyway, you won't, you'll never be denied communion here, just so you know. Um, but when it, when it, or when it appears like Christians are at the essentre of, a, of an emerging, emerging far, far, alternative far-right movement that is perpetuating hostility towards immigrants like me, uh, like my parents, and, and, it, and also Christians are being proponents of a white ethnostate, now we're like, oh, this is really bad. This isn't even like Kanye West. Like, that felt mild. Now we're getting, and that's just really dark. Christians are at the center of evil in the United States. And I know not everyone has a uh, feed like mine, like, like I do. And I kind of I live in the mud for your sake, I think. That's what I tell myself. But, but you know, my, mine selects for, like, uh, Christianity, politics, food writing, science, Philly sports. But I, I, those are all my interests. And I run into these things, and, and, I think, and I think the problem is they have mimetic power. Do you know that word mimetic is where we get meme from? But it actually, it's actually a whole different idea. It's, it's the ideas that um, kind of in a Darwinian sense get selected for, the, the ideas that naturally get selected, that we learn about, the ideas that, uh, that, that, that whose sails catch wind. The issue with that is that they, the issue with these things being mimetic is is it's how normal people learn about our faith. And it's not good for the faith because it results in thinking, think, and people thinking Jesus followers are like nutbags or creeps. So it's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not good for the movement. And, and, and it's troubling for me because I wake up every morning and I wonder, how can I help postmodern Philadelphians follow Jesus? How can I make following Jesus not an insane prospect? How's this possible? Because I'm up against it here, right? It doesn't seem like it's working out. When people think of Christians, they think of all this stuff. That's what I think. Maybe you can convince me otherwise. But that's why we're kind of doing this series that we're in, Things Jesus Never Said. Because bad stuff gets pinned on Jesus through uh, osmosis. Familiar with this idea? You know what osmosis is? The process of molecules passing through a semi-permeable membrane from a, from a less concentrated solution to a more concentrated one. See? In other words, why you brine your Thanksgiving turkey, which if you should start on Tuesday in a few weeks, just so you know. That's, 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 especially if you're doing a dry brine. Anyway, I, moving on. <laughs> Sometimes we hear these, uh, sorry, you got to look at raw poultry, and I know some of you, that's gross, but I'm sorry, just look at me, I'm less gross than raw turkey. <laughs> Sometimes we hear these ideas through sayings like this one, live, live your dreams, this is one I want to work with tonight. I'm not sure this saying is really attributable, but it is in our common understanding, would you agree? especially in the United States. The United States it's, is theoretically premised on the idea that everyone has a self-evident God-given right to pursue their dreams, to pursue their happiness, right from the nation's holy scriptures, right? De the, right in the Declaration of Independence. Someone read this out loud like you're in a, a civics class. No one wants to do it. You're not gonna, nothing bad's going to happen to you if you say it. That among these are life, liberty, 
the, the, the idea, it's, it's right, it's embedded in the founding documents. And I, and I, I don't mean to be too uh, kind of quaint when I say holy scriptures. I actually think it has power. Um, the idea of pursuing our happiness is embedded in the very fabric of the nation. And so it definitely syncretizes with our faith, right? If our faith is the turkey, it's brining in a sea of Americanism. Does that make sense? So we're kind of like a turkey living in, a, in an American brine as Christians. And so, of course, through osmosis, we're going to get saltier and also retain moisture during the cook. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so we're told this idea from our very youngest days. I know this because I'm witnessing right now, as my child is in school, how their minds are formed. And, and they're told you can pursue and achieve and live your dreams. And, anything, and, and, and unfortunately, anything short of that is a failure. It's not good enough. You didn't do it right. Of course, we know there are numerous problems with this idea because we know we aren't all born into the world equally. We know that line from the Declaration of Independence that says all men are created equally may be true in some cosmic or abstract sense, but it, they are created into an unjust environment. You know, it kind of even pains me to use the sexist language in the Declaration of Independence because even the utterance itself indicates that we already prefer men because that's your default. And so the truth is, yes, we are created equally, but that's why the context that we're born into is so apparently unjust, because despite being created equally, the playing field isn't even, depending on who you are and where you're born. You know, we know this because we know there is so much about how we're born that we can't control. And despite that lack of control, society still values us one way or another. There are things about me that I can't control, but despite that, there is still a meaning about them. Like I can't control the color of my skin, and I can't control the value that you assign to it either, but nevertheless, you do. And I don't mean you, I just mean it happens. Maybe some of you, but you know, that's not, that's not what I'm, it's, I'm not accusing you of anything particularly. I'm just saying this happens. Does that make sense? Are you following with what I'm saying? Um, racism and sexism manifest all around us. But the fact that we're born in the United States or we are in the United States now means something different than if you were born in Aleppo or a, um, or on the Gaza Strip, right? Different, different places, different circumstances. You know, um, I just read this morning that uh, Fallujah, the town in Iraq that George Bush bombed with depleted uranium, has the highest rate of birth defects of any other nation because of the, we think because of the depleted uranium that the United States bombed them with. So no, we're not all born equally. Right? That's what we're talking about. In fact, you know, the, the, the other problem with living our dreams means something more specific here. Living our dreams often means pursuing a career that personally satisfies us, A, and also makes 
our, makes, uh, makes us uh, meet our end. Uh, what do I want to say? Make, makes our ends meet. Thank you. We usually have to be programmed to believe that our jobs can satisfy us first because it's ridiculous to spend a third of your life doing something that's supposed to satisfy you in the remaining third when you're awake because you're hopefully sleeping for the other third, right? That's like a ridiculous idea on paper, but somehow I don't actually think it's ridiculous. Why? Because they taught me it wasn't. I'm living in that same kind of indoctrination. That's a very deeply programmed idea that we can't, and it's hard to let go of. You know, even the idea of a weekend had to do undo parts of the program that we're talking about. The idea that you have Saturday and Sunday off. Obviously, it wasn't always the norm. And then um, it became that way because of some organization. In fact, we are working so hard or looking for work or being stressed about not working, right? All of you are, are probably in one of those categories that we hardly have any time to do the things that might actually truly satisfy us, whatever those might be. But that's the other part of the myth. Whatever those might be, you're supposed to know what will satisfy you and figure it out on your own. That's a lot of pressure. You have to figure out your life by yourself. And not everyone has, certainly not internationally, but also nationally, not everyone has vocational mobility. You know what that means? Most of the world can't just change their jobs when they feel like. A job isn't a fulfillment of a dream. Rather, it's a, it's a means to an end. And in other parts of the world, we get another program that uh, undoes how we, that, 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 that um, conditions how we think about the world that tells us what our dreams are. Like kind of where we come from, the dream might be to get married and have children. You have to do that or else you failed. Success looks like that. Success looks like getting married. In Egypt, uh, when you get married, that means you have enough money to move out of your parents' house and start your own family. That is success. You did it. You made it. And you don't get married until you have enough money. And so you have to save up to fall in love. That's how the culture works. And so people that don't get married and don't have kids or just can't seem to find anyone to get married to or can't have children are really in for it. I'm only telling you this kind of um, other example just so you know that other societies have other problems with how they implant the dream into you. Does that make sense? When our dreams are informed by our society... We already know not all of us will be able to live our dreams. Jesus, of course, has another way of doing things. But I have to admit, it's very radical. The first one's where Jesus calls his disciples. Someone out loud, read. Do I have, there they are, that's all the, someone out loud, read Matthew 4, as you look at the Sea of Galilee, by the way, which is receding. It's getting smaller right now. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they abandoned their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they abandoned the boat and their father and followed him. Maybe the most striking thing, thanks, Kate, about this passage is that they left their nets and their boats to follow Jesus. They realized that to follow this rabbi was a whole new vocation 
and they couldn't be fishers anymore. And so they followed Jesus by abandoning the family business. They organized their lives around this new movement that Jesus was starting. This is what you did. And they did for three years on the promise that there was a revolution, a new way of being and doing that would follow, and a new liberation that would greet them. And when the revolution didn't appear to be happening, like when Jesus dies, look at what Peter says at the end of John 21. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, this is after Jesus dies, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Why am I bringing this up again? Because when the three-year experiment didn't work and Jesus dies, he goes back to fishing. That's what he does. I'm going to go fish. I'm just going to do what I did before. We gave this a try for three years. Now I'm just going back to what I used to do. He stops following Jesus when he disbelieves that he resurrected and goes back to what he did before the whole thing started. Back to the family business. Back to how it was before. I think the call to follow Jesus fundamentally changes how we live our lives and how we approach our dreams. It's not feasible in this political economy to just drop our nets and abandon our boats, though. It might not even be ethical. We don't have that luxury or possibility, really. It seems to me like we have to work, at least for now. Is that right? but we also want to follow Jesus, so we run into a predicament. It's hard to do it. Just want to acknowledge that. Our lives are full. They're busy. We're unavailable because we're trying to pursue our dreams, you might say. We can't get, seem to get anything going, and that overwhelms us in a whole different way. And the truth is we're running on a treadmill. The myth is hard work, and you'll be able to do what you want to do. But it turns out we're working harder for less. We work better for less right now. Productivity is up. Pay is down. Following that chart, you see how it's working? Don't let anybody tell you, especially if you're a, a millennial, that you're working not hard enough, and that's the problem. We're probably the hardest working generation in a long time. Definitely harder working than Gen X. I know some of you are Gen X, just saying. <laughs> Although you worked really hard. You're looking at me like, yeah, I'm still awake, dude. He works really hard. <laughs> Here's how John Thornton put it. My favorite Baptist pastor, male Baptist pastor, that's the category. Why don't millennials show up to church? Church takes time, energy, and attention. It takes stability and commitment. It takes work. This chart above translates, this is the one he gave, me, he gave me that chart, into massive student debt. It translates into people moving constantly, looking for a better job so they can, that can pay just a bit more. It means losing a job because a ton of people will take it for lower wages. It means more of a paycheck. And consequently, time, energy, and attention go into health insurance or rent. It's burnout. Why does it feel like people have less time to commit to church? or the family, or the common good, it's because they're losing the class struggle. Now, he's making a very specific argument that I am fond of, but I think it's illustrative nevertheless. We're up against it. 
And what does Jesus say to that? You're serving another master because you're stressed out and worried. And then in another kind of unhelpful fr uh, framing, he says, don't worry and have faith. Serve God because God is going to provide. Not so that God provides, by the way. I say it's unhelpful because it's hard just not to worry. But it's still the teaching, right? No one can serve two masters. Someone out loud read this if you're not distracted by a Kramer here. No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and law. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Thank you. This is from the episode when uh, Kramer gets a job. Just so you know, there was only one where he. <laughs> I think just a few days. They, they, he went to the bathroom in the uh, place that he worked the, in the in like the office, and then they thought he worked there, and so that's how he started working there. And he he didn't do very good work. I think it's hard to hear this teaching because it's so hard not to worry. And it gets worse. When his very disciples are worried that he's going to die because he says he's going to die, Jesus calls them Satan and tells them to get behind him because he's not here to live his dreams. And it's an amazing, he, he is, he's up against it too. He feels it, right? He knows the cost of me following God in this moment results in my death. So please, don't get in the way of that because it's costing me everything. All it costs you is the family business. It's going to cost me my life. So this is from Matthew 16. I'll read this one to you. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned away and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Can you feel the drama? feels dramatic to me. Jesus is telling us it's impossible to serve God in money, that it's better to die than even pursuing your dreams in your own life. So he's making it clear at this outset, this is going to cost you. So then what gives? How do we actually do this? in this day and age. I gave you the stats, we're working harder and more for less, we're stressed, we're busy, we have school, we have student debt, we have relationships, most of which aren't working, we have families, 
We have houses. We have rent to pay. We have lives to live. We have children. I didn't even say children, you know. We have those, too, you know. And they have a lot of ideas about what we should do, too. So there's a lot of expectation. And Jesus is pursuing all of those things instead of him as a problem. He says that you'll forfeit your soul. I mean, this is hard. He says in Matthew 6, 33, but strive first for the kingdom of God and God's justice and all these things that you are worried about, right? He's back, we're back to that passage, will be given to you as well. Seek, seek, seek the kingdom of God in God's justice. So uh, sometimes translated as God's righteousness, but the word is the same. And all these things will be given to you as well. That seems grandiose for a guy who's going who's, who's, uh, gonna to die to tell us. Hard to do on your own. But, but here's the thing. We're not doing it on our own. We're doing it together. The reason these passages don't overwhelm me is because we're, doing, we're creating a community where we can pursue God's kingdom and God's justice right here. Right? It was evident just two weekends ago when we were cleaning up neighborhoods, assembling furniture for those who needed it, walking through our watershed to learn more about the, that what God created around us, listening to those who are seeking sanctuary. We're creating an alternative community where we can actually let go of our nets, at least to some extent, because we are interdependent. We have a new way of doing things. And so far, it's the best thing we've come up with for our time and place, at least as a body. So maybe you'll critique it one way or the other, but we're, we're, trying, we're trying to do our best together. It's not perfect, it's just what we've got right now. I think it's pretty good. We're still tethered to the ways of the world, and that's okay for a number of reasons. We're still connected to the ways of the world, that's, and that's fine for a number of reasons, both practical, but also because we want to meet people and connect them to what we've got going on, if that's what they're looking for. So we've got to be connected to the world in some way, so to speak. But also a lot of us are employed in a, in a, in a profession or a job that does help to change the world. And so that's a transformation too. A lot of us take jobs that pay less for the sake of the common good. That's the opposite of the problem. And I think you can do that more effectively here because we're a community who actually financially supports one another. I've got to add that. It's not just like friends. There's actually some practical uh, reason to be here. We need everyone here in the project sharing what they can, right? If you want to make this thing work, we need to share what we can so that we can follow God together, right? Time, money, talent. But, 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 but share all those things, like the team was sharing their talent and their time all day. We share money in the common fund. Um, but most importantly, uh, your heart. I think that's what, that's, that, 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 that's what, that your passion. Um, so I, 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 wanna, I wanna keep uh, doing it together. And I think we can, and I think we are. I think this is a real opportunity for us to uh, let go of our dreams and follow God together. We can pursue God instead of trying to figure out what our dreams are as we uh, run the rad race. Let's let that be enough and then do some talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for being here and for being faithful and present. Um, may we keep following you. 
as you uh, fulfill us in a unique way together. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.